0: Hello and welcome to Well, I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. We chat about what they know now, what they wish they'd known earlier, and what their experience has taught them about dementia, about life, about anything and everything. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum lived with vascular dementia for the last decade of her life. She's no longer with us. But one of the main things that Mum's Dementia taught me and my family was just how little we knew about it. Now, through my work as a dementia blogger and campaigner, I know so much more about this incurable condition. Not least that the smallest things can make a huge difference to those with dementia and their families and carers. My guest today is the daughter of a cleaner and a bricklayer who left school at 16 and went to work in Boots the Chemist in West Kirby, Cheshire. She joined an amateur dramatic company, discovered a talent, applied for a scholarship to RADA, the only acting school she'd heard of, and she didn't have the means to pay herself, and was told that she would have been awarded a scholarship, but they didn't have any. Her manager at Boots wrote to Cheshire County Council, who agreed to pay for the youngster to go to RADA. And the rest, as they say, is history and I, and indeed the rest of the world, owe a massive debt of thanks to that Boots manager. For my guest, I am absolutely delighted to say, is the Tony, Oscar, and Emmy, award-winning international star of stage, screen, and television, Glenda Jackson, who is here to talk to me about her latest BAFTA award-winning role as Maud in the BBC film of Elizabeth is Missing. Maud, has dementia. She's observant and self-aware. She knows that others, including her middle-aged daughter, think she's mad. She isn't. She knows that her friend Elizabeth is missing and determines to find her. And so, this best-selling novel-turned-film is an intriguing murder mystery that is also a deft exploration of dementia and the strains that it places on family life. Lucy Mangan in The Guardian described Miss Jackson's portrayal of Maud's decline as being as nuanced as it is relentless, the cantankerousness shading into unreasonableness and finally violence, the frustration into despair. It is a harrowing, compelling, unsentimental, altogether magnificent performance. Dr Harrison Denning, Dementia UK's Head of Research, and an advisor on the film, said it was the best portrayal of dementia that she'd ever seen in all its honesty and frankness. So, Glenda Jackson, a very warm welcome to Well, I Know Now.
1: Well, thank you very much indeed.
0: And may I start by asking you why you wanted to take on the part of Maud?
1: Essentially because they sent me the script and a copy of the book Elizabeth is Missing and they were so interesting to me I, I said yes because dementia had been something I'd come across when I was still a member of parliament mm. um, I don't mean every day of the week mm. or even every week of the year but nonetheless it was something of which I was aware and which I think we as a society have not really perhaps now post COVID, when eventually post-COVID arrives, we will be more aware of, Mm -hmm. in as much as you know, we we are as a society living much longer, Mm -hmm. and illnesses like Alzheimer's and dementia, in the past, we were dead before they could strike us. Mm -hmm. Now we're looking at this big black hole, Mm -hmm. which at the moment, I mean, the present government has stated that social care will be better financed. We will have to wait and see what their definition of better financed is. Quite. But, you know, it it is something that we as a society have to take more seriously than I think we have in the past. Maybe this is because of what you said with regard to your own experiences. Mm -hmm. The illness is something you don't know anything about. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think now we are beginning to know more and more about these illnesses. And, you know, we have to take on board the fact that there is a responsibility for all the generations to acknowledge that the older generation is deserving of our care.
0: Mm. I know that you've um, supported the Alzheimer's Society's Fixed Dementia Care Campaign, where there are... And when you were a Labour MP, because, of course, I mean, extraordinary, actually, because I have to say, when I was looking through your biography to see the number of films and theatre appearances, I got repetitive strain injury. Just scrolling through, you've done so much. It seems extraordinary that you actually took off 23 years to go into politics. And I think it was when you were an MP that you did, you know, visiting care homes and daycare centres You came across people, and and I I read that you said, which I thought was very apposite, really, that there's something very tragic about not being able to recognise or be recognised, because that's what it is to be human.
1: Absolutely. Mm. It's heartbreaking. And um, one of the things I found very interesting post the first showing of the film Elizabeth is Missing, Mm. that I'd be, you know, walking down the street or in the local supermarket or whatever, and total strangers would come up to me, and relate their direct personal experiences to someone in their family having gone or be going through these illnesses. And before that, I mean, I'm not saying the film was, you know, a, a game changer or anything like that, but there was all the time that I was a member of Parliament, there was a reluctance, not infrequently, for people to say that, you know, their family had been struck by this illness. Yes. And also what clouded I think the issue was the actual cost of caring for someone with dementia. Yes. You know which for some people was simply impossible. Yes. And the local authorities had a, a duty but that duty might have meant that they had to find the care home that they could afford and that may have been outside their particular area. Yes, of course. So a family would have a long distance to go to just make a visit. Yes. And also, the other thing which I thought hung over our acknowledgement of these illnesses was the NHS, which is entirely factual. I mean, I can't deny that, but as it was an incurable disease, there was nothing they could do. Yes. Now, you know, I mean, they didn't say there was nothing they could do. There was this kind of aura of It being there, but not being sufficiently acknowledged, and for the huge problem that it does present to a society. And I say again, perhaps the silver lining of this COVID pandemic is that the need for care homes has become much, much higher up the political ladder, let's hope it gets even higher.
0: Yes, I think that's right. And what a good point you made about the fact that people often have to go into a care home that's a long way away from their relatives. And of course, the importance of relatives visiting people in care homes has become highlighted through the coronavirus pandemic. That's absolutely true. And also, I'd like to pick you up on your point because it's very important. I mean, Elizabeth Smith may not have been a game changer, but when there is such A good film because it really was a very good portrayal of dementia. And I think Mm -hmm. Emma Healy's book, Elizabeth is Missing, when I reviewed it, it was a brilliant book. And then the power of the celebrity, the power of you, when people recognise you and they come up to you in the street, that helps with what we're talking about. I think that helps with the stigma, which is sort of what you were talking about when you said a while ago families didn't want to acknowledge it and we didn't talk about it. But when people see Elizabeth and Glenda Jackson playing Elizabeth, then they feel it's all right to talk about it and it's so good that they can come up to you in the street. I mean, I don't don't know how you feel about them coming up to you in the street, but it's very good that they can talk about it to you.
1: Well, it it is. But, of course, one is left in that position of really having nothing to add. I mean, there's no easy answer to it.
0: No, but you do add because you decrease the stigma. It's like when Richard Dimbleby, the Voice of the Nation back in 1965, he was really the first celebrity to go publicly with his cancer. You know, I think it does make a difference.
1: Well, it would be entirely wrong on on anyone's part to think that the illness carries with it a stigma. I don't think it is that. I think it's a sense of helplessness. Yes. I think it's that more than it being stigmatic. Yes. Because how do you deal with it? What do you do? I mean, I'm interested to see that the Dementia UK putting out, you know, booklets about what it is and yeah. what the first signs are and things like that. I think it has to come up our willingness to acknowledge that it's here and as I say we are as a society living much longer and so there will be more people in that position.
0: Yes, you have a lot to say about society. I was very interested in your views on society and the way that a good society, obviously a good society should be one that does look after people within it that have dementia and I, I read that you think that the best society is almost, you can draw a parallel between the way the best theatre works, because it's a, a mutually reciprocal thing. I know you say the best theatre is when the the energy from the stage moves from the light to the dark in the audience, and then they give it back to you. And I think we've probably all experienced that as audience members, when there's something very special happens. And it is something that happens between people. You say only connect is a very important phrase to you. And that's a phrase we use that so much in, you know, in dementia care, where good dementia care. You need to make a connection with a person with dementia. Of course you, know, you do. Mm, tell me a bit about your views on society and good society. And
1: Well, that is my ideal. And, you know, I think in many ways, again, this COVID pandemic has shown that we can be a caring society. Mm. But it's acknowledging I think I was going to say the enormity of the care that we need that's ridiculous, but what I mean is we have to take seriously this issue for us and really you know begin to acknowledge that it's there, that it's it's waiting. I don't want you know to make everybody depressed out of their minds. We're living through a bad enough time as it is, but as we do care, we do express our care, we do help each other, there has to be a way of acknowledging that yes. and putting it to practical use. Yes. I mean, I mean, it is put to practical use. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but that there should be... And it has to come down from, from government, the acknowledgement that this is an issue for our society.
0: Yes, we need a societal change, really, in the way we view it. You know, when you were an MP and you went into care homes, you said you were very struck when a daughter of a man with dementia said, never in my life did Dad raise his voice to me. And you asked Karen Harrison-Denning why Maud becomes so uncharacteristically agitated. And, of course, she said it was the frustration.
1: Frustration. And that's, you know, I mean, we all know what that feels like. Perhaps we don't feel it to the same degree as those suffering the illness, but nonetheless, we can equate that with what we as human beings know life is like. Yes. But once you
0: know that, you know that that's why somebody with dementia is acting like that. It helps you to understand the disease, and I think it helps society to realise not to be frightened about it, but actually, this is just you understand why the person.
1: I must say, I don't, I've never experienced from family members a sense of being frightened. Of it, it is that sense of helplessness, mm. and I think that is an area that, hopefully, we will begin to work our way out of, mm. knowing better what our reaction should be. Yes, exactly. Um, which is mm. not just, you know, a feeling that there is something that we, as an individual, can do, with obviously the help of those people who are experienced on the the medical aspects of these illnesses. Yes.
0: Now, there are lots that we can do. I don't know if any of the supermarkets that you use, but there are dementia friendly supermarkets now, which really just give people with dementia a bit more time at the till. They show the change because people with dementia become very confused when they have to use coins. You know, it just often. Yeah, yeah. Being dementia friendly, this phrase that's used, is really just being friendly. <laughs> it's just yeah, being kind. Right. It's just yeah, being kind. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I was interested about is that last year you played King Lear to huge acclaim and, of course, you're a woman playing King Lear and you have some interesting things to say about age, I think, and the way that it it frays the boundaries between the genders.
1: I think it does. I definitely think it does. I mean, the, the kind of, you know, historical cliches about what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman. I mean, women are expected to express their emotions easily and publicly. Men are not. And yet when age comes along and loosens the, the barriers, those situations can change quite dramatically. And I think that's very interesting. I mean, because the underlying energizer, if you like, is I won't say common humanities, but it somehow sounds derogatory. I don't mean that. I mean, we are more than just flesh, blood and bone, and yes. I think age is one of those areas where it's demonstrated for all to see.
0: Yes, I've never heard that, and I, I think you're right. I've never thought about that, but you use the example of King Lear and the speech he makes in The Storm, where he actually admits for the first time that... He, he failed. He failed.
1: Yeah, but he failed on a level that was of human understanding. It it had its practical expressions, which as we are seeing today, you know, which have to do with money and structures and things like that. But it goes back to what you were saying about expressing kindness, mm. that human connection, you mm. know, the two most important words in my vocabulary, certainly.
0: That's very interesting because it's all about connections.
1: Yeah. It
0: really is, and sometimes I think we lose sight of that. So if we can get back to that, it it does help. When I go into care homes where there is the best dementia care, it's all about that, and it's all about stopping this them and us in the same way as, you know, I think you've talked about age, and it is odd the way as soon as a woman becomes, you know, 60 or 65, or even a man maybe, there's a different attitude. You're
1: expected not to feel or do anything.
0: Mm. And then that, that sense is even more pronounced when it's somebody with dementia. It's definitely sort of them and us. It's not we. It's not we all in this together. Because you say that you still feel about 15.
1: Yeah, I mean, my inside me is probably what I was like, you know, in my middle to late teens. My external me is living its own life. (laughs) It doesn't do what I tell it to do. You know, my hands don't stop shaking, my leg doesn't function properly and I swear at it. I mean, I do, (laughs) but it does no good. I mean, even if I'm particularly nice, it doesn't change the shape of things. It's going to go where it wants to go, the way it wants to go. (laughs) And I just have to tag along inside.
0: (laughs) So how did you manage to give such such a commanding, compelling performance as Maud in Elizabeth's Missing?
1: Well, it was a very good script for a start off. It was an extremely good cast and crew. And, you know, it was all there to be found. And as I say, I had intimations, if not intimacies, with what these illnesses can do. I mean, one of the interesting, really interesting things within it is her daughter, who is caring for Maud. Mm-hmm. Because Maud lashes out at her granddaughter, because she doesn't recognize her granddaughter. Yes. The illness makes her lose that connection. That, because her granddaughter is upset, Mm. her daughter reacts very angrily towards Maud. And I think that's, again, an aspect of this illness that we don't confront enough, that even the people who care for the person who is sick most can lose their tempers, can react to them. Again, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, in a human being kind of way. Oh, absolutely. They are distressed afterwards. They wish they hadn't done it. Yeah. But in a curious kind of way, that is a connection. Yes, and of there's course, a response. There can mm-hmm. be extremities of that, as we've been hearing about, you know, where people react very badly. but. It's not a one-way street. As much as we learn about what the illness is like, we can also learn about ourselves.
0: Yeah. I interviewed somebody for the podcast who is a multimedia artist, it's called, but she did these incredible dementia darnings. So she's done enormous, metre by a metre and a half. They're portraits, and they're the most beautiful portraits, but when you get close to them, they are done through a running stitch. Oh, wow! It is incredible. I mean, it's a shame we can't see them at the moment in the flesh, of course, but the effect that they had on the public was very powerful. And they are all of her mother who had dementia because right. Jenny Dutton decided that she wanted to sort of, she was going to care for her mother. But when you are a carer for somebody with dementia, as you rightly say, Glenda, you of course have a human reaction and it can be very, I knew this with my own mother, you get very angry. And then you immediately Mm -hmm. feel very guilty. And then you also feel a resentment because you're having to put your own life on hold a bit. Of course. To look after somebody. And you feel grief. All sorts of very difficult emotions rage around in you. And Jenny, with an incredible insight, decided that she would do these darnings sort of with her mother because her mother was able to be there with her and sort of almost help her with it because they were looking at the photographs that she was using of her mother when she was younger because they go right from when her mother is a very, very young girl all the way until a few days before her death. They're incredible. Good God. And Jenny said, yes, I wanted to do it with her so that I wouldn't feel resentful. And I was still doing my work because that is her work. She's an artist. Yeah, yeah. And she said, it taught me so much about myself.
1: Really?
0: I, yeah, it was fascinating. She's That's a very articulate woman. And she said, I didn't know I had it in me. And so, you know, I think dementia can teach us things,
1: as you rightly say. Oh, well, wow. absolutely it can.
0: Yes. And I know, Glenda, you live with your son Daniel, don't you, Daniel? Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm in the basement. They've got the rest of their house.
0: Yeah. Yes, who's also got his own son. So this is, you know, when you were talking about Maud and her granddaughter, often yeah. if you don't get on with your immediate sort of daughter, the next generation down, there is often a connection between older people And very much younger people.
1: Oh, very much so, yes. Yes. I mean, they were marvellous. Well, we tried it here. They did a couple of television series about it, of introducing into old people's homes young children. Yes. I mean, a bit older, well, slightly older than nursery. But this had been done, I think it was in Massachusetts, oh, it must be three or four decades ago. I know I was in America and I read about it. Yes. And in that instance, it was introducing children in the main from single parent families into an old people's home and it was hugely successful I mean for both age groups yes and it was in this country and I know it's been done in other countries in Europe and I can understand that absolutely because children a understand far more than we think they do yeah. when they're very young but they have far fewer limits I don't mean they're rude but they react spontaneously, don't they? There's no kind of filter of thinking, oh, I better not say that or I better not do that. They just react. They do. And I think that clicks with something when we get older too.
0: Yes, yes, and they don't judge. So if Granny puts her... Well, my mum used to put the tea cosy on her head. <laughs> um, and, or if Granny puts her skirt on inside out or buttons things up the wrong way... Actually, normally what they do is is copy it and they think it's funny yeah. <laughs> but they don't stand there saying oh mum you know what are what you have doing you done? and they are very disinhibited as you say and also not wanting to infantilize older people but they will often enjoy the same things i know there was a project in bristol with school children who went into care homes as you're saying it is happening more over here now And they, you know, struck up... They called it paint pals. It was a bit like pen pals. Oh, right, yeah. And they would paint together. And, of course, the very young children were doing finger painting. And, actually, some of the older people with dementia were also doing finger painting because they could do that. And they all made a mess. But that's what children do as well, isn't it?
1: That's what the whole
0: point, Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I know your grandson is now a bit older, isn't he? He's sort of.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Twelve or He's thirteen. Well but
0: did, yeah. did you, you know, did you have a good relationship? Did you when he was younger? Is there? Oh yes, yes, we do and... now.
1: Even though we argue constantly. <laughs> do you? But that's healthy. yeah.
0: He wants to be an actor. I saw you said on it.
1: I think now he wants to be a basketball player. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're over that hump, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't
0: want him to become an actor.
1: Good God, no. Everybody who's ever come up to me and said, you know, I want to be an actor, I say, well, find something else in the world that you would really like to do. It's, you know, it's, it's um, a vastly overcrowded profession at the moment, of course, along with many other professions that are going through a very, very hard mm. time. Oh. But there is also, a, I think, a kind of fantasy attached. It's much harder than it
0: looks. Oh, I think it must be terrifying.
1: Don't know. I mean, I, well, my theory is that all actors say are masochists, but it's just harder. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not a game. It's I'm tempted to say it's not something you play at. But then we talk about play at, it, don't
0: we? <laughs> you certainly don't play at it. The preparation that goes into it. Also, you're a bit at the. Well, you're very Well, much. it's
1: less preparation. And I mean, in a curious forgive me for interrupting you. I mean, of course, there's preparation. That's what. Does But it's also the capacity to go back to what we were talking about earlier, of finding that energy that does go in to a darkened auditorium and is reinforced there and sent back to you. And that is in the moment. I mean, you can go in thinking, God, I don't want to do this. I mean, it's also boring and it can be marvellous. And you can go in thinking, oh, I can't wait to do this. And it can be a total disaster. So... You're always on that fine line. You had
0: a lovely story, actually. I wonder if you mind relating about Laurence Olivier.
1: Oh, well, this is a story that has become historical within the theatre. He was doing Othello at the Old Vic. It was not the opening. It was in the repertoire. It had got marvellous notices. But this particular night, he was just being absolutely extraordinary. To such an extent, I mean, that... You know, actors didn't want to go... They had to leave the stage, but they didn't want to go back to their dressing rooms. They wanted to watch and hear him. And, of course, at the end, the house went crazy and, you know, cheers, and it was all absolutely wonderful. And everybody was going home, and he could be heard in his dressing room swearing and breaking things. So, being the theatre, they sent the youngest assistant stage manager along to find out what was wrong. And she knocked on the door and and he let her in. And she said, you know, Sir Lawrence, we're all very worried. We we wonder, you know, what was wrong because you were absolutely wonderful. And he said, I know, but I don't know why. Yeah. There you have it. Yeah.
0: If you knew, you could distill it and bottle it and...
1: (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely, but that ain't, <laughs> that ain't the bottle you've opted it to go into. <laughs> did, did
0: you feel that with Lear? I mean, do you...?
1: Well, it's very difficult for me to answer that because, you know, as I say, it's you know, people talk about the first night, every performance is the first night as far as I'm concerned. Yes. But you get intimations of it well before the end of the play if sure. it's going well, but, you know, you don't do it on your own. I mean everyone has a responsibility for the whole play, however large or small that part may be. And when you have that acceptance of that responsibility, then there are energies in all the great plays and that energy is released and that is what is of enormous help.
0: Yes, yes, because I know you said Peter Brooks was the greatest director of... of Oh, yeah. And I think he sort of showed you that, didn't he, that it's the sum of the parts, It's, it's greater than the sum of the parts.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's
0: a bit like society.
1: Yeah, I mean, that interdependence. But, you know, I mean, his favourite word is no. And that's, you know, great. As somebody who worked in the company with us said, you know, the great thing about him is he never lets you go too far down the wrong path.
0: Oh, I see. Peter Brooks, he always corrected you if you...
1: Oh, yeah, I mean... (laughs) Usually with a look of absolute bewilderment on his face. <laughs> what on earth you doing? with that kind of look? <laughs> right. That's so
0: interesting, yeah, yeah. And there is a lot that's to do with dementia because all Shakespeare plays ask three questions.
1: Who are we? What are we? Why are we? Mm. Um, because human nature is immutable. I mean, the human condition can be improved, mm. but human nature... It stays the same, which is why, in my view, you know, he's the most contemporary playwright there is.
0: But he's asking what it is to be human.
1: Absolutely. And questioning that humanity as well. Yes. Why are we? It is this curious kind of very high wire line of our individuality making more in touch with other people's individualities than being obsessed with our own. Yes. Extremely complex. Sentence, and I don't know if it necessarily highlights what I mean, but you know, that kind of communication on a level that is in a curious way outside the usual ones, but it's there if we're lucky.
0: Yes, and you may be surprised to hear this, but sometimes when I talk to people who do work with people in the advanced stages of dementia, which a lot of people think are impossible of getting a connection with them at all. And they do make a connection. They make it through very clever ways of communicating because there are a lot more ways of communicating than via language (laughs) and words. And when they find that way of connecting, and actually, Glenda, often it's through music, the results are almost miraculous.
1: I can imagine.
0: Somebody who might be sitting there, that classic state, head down, eyes glazed, no movement. It's very distressing, actually, when you see it with a close relative.
1: Now, Particularly now, when they're behind a glass window or a glass door. You can't even, you know... Terrible. No touching.
0: But if you put music, particularly in their ears, you know, using sort of pods in the ears... Oh, of course, yes. Which goes sort of into your head, doesn't it? It's a more direct... sort of virtually come alive, it sounds very dramatic, but there is a film you can watch called Alive Inside, because inside, it's like you're saying inside you're 15, but the envelope of the body is not obeying you anymore. But inside these people, they're still there. And you can, if you can connect, it's magical.
1: Well, there was a film, Jonathan Miller did it years mm. and years ago, mm. about this brilliant musician who had suffered an accident I mean, to give you a precise example, there was one period in the film where he was in his own front room, the guy I'm talking about, and his wife left the room and he immediately, she she was out of the room for possibly less than two minutes. Mm. And when she came back in, he was in tears. Mm. He berated her, where have you been? Why have you been away so long? Mm. And that was the pattern of his daily life in that sense. Every note of music he'd ever known was still in his head. Yes. And he could play it. Yes. And that's amazing, isn't it? That's just extraordinary. We know the, you know, the brain is the most undiscovered country in our bodies, yes. but it's just amazing.
0: It is, and there are neurological reasons why music is so powerful. Uh, Oliver yep. Sacks, the late Oliver Sacks, says, memories that can't be discovered in any other way are sort of trapped in music as if in amber. It's Because it's the parts of the brain and it needs lots of different parts of the brain to fire up when you listen to music because it's very complex, it's rhythm. and Oh, really? Oh, that's yes, the and oh, all, wow. so it fires off a lot of different parts of the brain and they happen to be the parts of the brain that are the last to go when right. somebody dies with dementia and um so it's a bit like a tip of the tongue moment when you can't wow. you can't remember a name and everybody's firing yeah.
1: you know does it begin with yeah. m
0: is it yeah. malcolm yeah. and then suddenly something will sort of connect again and you know and it you yes and that's up. what that's what yeah. music does that's why it's so powerful Extraordinary, isn't sally it? magnuson wrote a very good book about it um anyway oh. i will now let you go glenda but i'm so pleased you agreed to come on
1: well, it's been a delightful conversation. Delightful in stepping aside what we're actually talking about seems the wrong word. But uh, thank you very much indeed, and thank you for sharing with everybody else who is going through what you went through with your mama.
0: Well, I think it helps to share.
1: Of course it does. Of mm. course it does. Mm. It's positive what you're saying.
0: Yes, I always try and be positive without being sort of Pollyanna-ish because it is a, it's a cruel. Condition, but all sorts of uh, good things are being done now. Thank you.
1: No, thank you.
0: It is very, very hard to believe that Glenda Jackson is 84. That only last year she took on one of the greatest Shakespeare roles and triumphed as King Lear. I didn't mention her age during the podcast. Of more relevance seemed the fact that inside she still feels about 15. And I've never heard the theory that the gender boundaries begin to fray as we become older, nor come across the parallels to be drawn between a model society and a perfect, almost magical live stage performance. It was fascinating. Glenda Jackson puts me in mind of Shakespeare's description of Queen Cleopatra, age cannot wither her, nor custom stale, her infinite variety. Glenda played that role twice. In Stratford in 1978, and for anyone old enough to remember in that quite brilliant skit on the Morecambe & Wise show in 1971 when she showed that even at the height of her powers she never took herself too seriously. Our conversation was just that, a real conversation from which I think we both learned a thing or two. By the way, Jenny Dutton, the creator of the remarkable Dementia Darnings which I told Glenda about, is my next guest and she's fabulous so do look out for her podcast. As for Glenda Jackson, She's a down-to-earth genius with a phenomenal work ethic and I can't thank her enough for being my guest. If you haven't yet seen her in Elizabeth Is Missing, you really must. It's available, still, on the BBC iPlayer. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast, and then together perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge, and quash the myths surrounding dementia.